Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Tuesday edition of the Derek Hunter Show. This is August the 15th, 2023. August already half in the can. Can you believe it? My name is Dean Carianis. I am your guest host. Thanks to those of you who listened yesterday and decided to return that maybe told a friend. Find me at History Dean on Twitter, and you can find the History Author Show at historyauthor.com. If you want to look at some of my interviews, I try to produce those up a little documentary style on our YouTube channel. You can find that too. navigate to it from historyauthor.com. I am a columnist at the New York Sun. I was a longtime Rush Limbaugh staffer. I had a dream job. Let me tell you that, friends and neighbors. Speaking of friends, I'm also a personal friend of Derek Hunter, but don't tell him that because he likes people to think he's just a tough guy, but he's like one of those delicious caramel candies where he has a soft, gooey center. You can roll a roll to your pal. It's chocolate covered caramel. Roll a roll to your gal. It's chocolate covered caramel. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to get through this thing we call life. And those of you who are 80s kids will recognize that as the words of Prince's Let's Go Crazy, his 1984 hit. I'll have some words on that at the end of the show if I have time, because there is a really interesting and fulfilling backstory of that tune that I only learned about recently and that Prince himself only talked about in 1997. Stick around for the end of the show if you're interested in hearing a little of music history. If you want to be able to appreciate that song on a whole nother level, a spiritual level, support Derek's show at patreon.com slash Derek Hunter podcast or derekhunter.locals.com. Derek will be doing the Weekend Effin Review as scheduled for everybody who is a subscriber there. That drops right after midnight on Saturday. So if you're up late on Friday, if you're a young person and you just can't stop partying, I remember those days. When the clock strikes midnight, Derek turns into a profane pumpkin with the Weekend Effin Review. You're just one thing, dude. What's that? You have to use so many cuss words. I'm also continuing Derek's tradition of offering you the chance to win a free signed book. The New York Sun is giving away autographed copies of Secretary Mike Pompeo's Never Give an Inch, Fighting for the America I Love. To sign up for your chance to win a copy, you can visit nysun.com book. That's nysun.com book. Enter the big sweepstakes. Good luck to everybody. Impress your friends and turn your enemies green with envy. When you lay that book on your coffee table, they notice it and you say, huh, yeah, it's a signed copy. And then they'll be really impressed with you. And who knows where the night goes from there. Speaking of coffee tables, in 1833, the Sun debuted as the city's first penny daily. And as Derek Hunter listeners, you can sign up for the Sun for just a penny a day and get a snazzy New York Sun mug. With that Rising Sun logo that we have, not to be confused with the Japanese in World War II, of course. This is not off the side of a zero. And it has our motto, the sun shines for all. That's something really great to me. I love that motto. I'm so proud now to be at the New York Sun. That's nysun.com slash mug. That's the kind of journalism we need in this country. There's way too much of the preaching to the choir 
And you know what? That's letting the other side's choir get larger if you're a conservative, because the other side is not going to listen to conservative media. And you have to find a way to get your message out there. That's what America is all about. Not enough to just sit at home and let people shake you upside down for cash, as I talked about yesterday. Try to get the change out of your pockets. They're not really caring about the future of the country. They've probably got theirs, a lot of them, and that's how they look at it. They'll just move to Fiji or some offshore island and... I'll tell you one thing, Russell Limbaugh was certainly never like that. One of the reasons that I really loved working for the man and why I loved him personally, he really cared about ideas. He cared about the country so much, as James Golden and I discussed both nerdly in his book, Rush on the Radio. You can go watch our interview at historyauthor.com. Two guys who really knew Rush worked for him for 25, 30 years, and we discussed a lot of what it was like to really get to know Rush. But really, if you listen to Rush, you met him and you knew who he was every day. He was the same guy that he was on the radio. And that's pretty rare in this world. Let me tell you. One of the listeners who contacted me, this one via Twitter, was James Kane. I want to thank him for doing that. He pointed out that Truman granted executive clemency to Ernest Peter Berger, the Nazi spy who I talked about yesterday. I think I said FDR pardoned him. FDR commuted his death sentence to life in prison. Little extra history there. I want to thank James Kane. And since you share the name of the great Bob Kane, the man who gave us Batman, I want to give you a no prize. The no prize was a prize that Marvel Comics, not DC, the home of Batman, gave to people. It was this satirical award. First, if you pointed out a mistake, they would give it to you. And then they would give it to you for writing their way out of mistakes. For instance, somebody noticed that they were coloring Mary Jane's eyes differently. Mary Jane Watson, Spider-Man's girlfriend and somebody said no she's probably just a mutant and so her mutant power is to change her eye colors that's the one that i always remember that that jumped out at me in the world of comics anything is possible that was well done so thank you again james kane you get a no prize i really appreciate the clarification on that another thing that i noticed that i'll give myself a no prize is i said yesterday i thought democrats had a huge voter registration advantage nationwide. And I think I was influenced by the fact they have 43 million voters total compared to 36.4 million over Republicans. That number is 11.6 million. So that's the edge that Democrats start with in the bag. Theoretically, of course, there's some crossover voting, but something that certainly puts it in perspective, the job Republicans have before them. And also I'm reminded of yet another lesson from Rush. Never do math or numbers on the radio. They are really hard to follow, and I shouldn't try it. He told me over and over, told all of us, don't try this at home, and here I am trying it at home. So there you go. Republicans are behind 11.6 million in registered voters. So think about that when you hear all these Republicans saying the holy grail is to somehow go out and compete with the Democrats on ballot harvesting and mail-in ballots and mail-in votes and all of these things. They're already starting pretty far behind the eight ball. Okay, so now on to the news of the day. And the story that I want to speak about is Hawaii and these awful wildfires there. And getting beyond the usual reaction that people have, which is grow government, don't hold government responsible. Government only on rare occasions holds itself accountable. So that's up to us to do as voters. Often we don't, especially in a pretty much one party state like Hawaii. Now, I know Derek wouldn't subject you to Hawaii's Democratic Senator, Maisie Hirono. I will do it anyway. And if Derek's listening, he can plug his ears and say, what did I do? What, what the heck is he doing on my show? So here we go. 
Senator Hirono was on with CNN's Jake Tapper, who I like to call Jacob just to stick it to him. Remember what I said yesterday about the word experts being banned from the New York Sun style book? Well, you're about to hear it used as a catch-all, almost a pronoun for just an unimpeachable source. Here's clip one. Experts warn that, that extreme disasters such as this one are only becoming more common because climate change is fueling mm -hmm. stronger storms, hotter temperatures, yeah. more widespread droughts. And earlier this week, President Biden incorrectly claimed he had already declared a climate emergency which would give him additional powers to combat the climate crisis. Given what you're seeing on the ground, do you want President Biden to actually declare a climate emergency? I think that we, uh, we very much need to acknowledge uh, that climate change is upon us. There are whole states, by the way, Jake, where you can't even the, you use the words climate change because they still have a hit in the sand attitude. Okay, first of all, where are these imaginary states? The thing about building straw dogs, especially when you're suffering from wildfires, is they're pretty easy to send up in flames. Notice also that Jake Tapper says that about Biden. Biden incorrectly said this. Well, I give him no points, no no prize for Jacob Tapper, because that is not a criticism. As I said yesterday, Republicans get pretty excited, eh, certain kind of Republicans, not all of us here. When somebody in the press or a celebrity, oh my God, how they love celebrities, anyone says something that they can convince themselves in their mind, sounds a little bit like they're criticizing a Democrat, that sort of Republican, so desperate for some pop culture appeal and success and likability, just goes nuts. But that's not what Jacob Tapper is doing here. It sounds like he's giving Biden a hard time, but when he says incorrectly, it's not falsely. He certainly doesn't say he's lying. He doesn't say that great phrase that they pretty much invented for President Trump without evidence. He just, guy just gives an opinion sometimes. And they're like, without evidence, he said ketchup on a steak is something he likes. Well, I, you, well it's, a, it's an opinion. What is with you? Think about it a step further. Jacob Tapper is only criticizing Biden because he's not going far to the left enough. He hasn't declared this climate emergency. He hasn't put the government in charge of more things, given the government more powers. He's begging him to use this tragic, horrible fire in Hawaii to come on do what we all want you to do. But this is something that also clearly he can hear it in her voice excites Maisie Hirono in her answer. So let's continue with her because they're both on board now. They're both going to push out this boilerplate. Clearly, wildfires is an occurrence in Hawaii. People don't realize that, uh, that, that acres are burned in Hawaii as in so many other states. And in terms of the percentage of acreage burned, uh, Hawaii is on a par with other states. There is not enough uh, recognition that we are going to need to combat uh, these kinds of wildfires. We have situations where the tremendously high winds that were attendant to Hurricane Dora just uh, resulted in these flames just leaping and and spreading in uh, in just uh, just I can't even tell you how fast the flames spread. So we need to be uh, assessing uh, our ability to contend with these kinds of uh, natural occurring disasters, which we are seeing more of, and the, and the frequency and the the damage that is done. Okay, who's we? In that sense, she's talking about the government, is she not? And is she not part of the government? Is she not one of the two ambassadors to the federal government, which is how the founding fathers looked at senators? Somehow, though, it's hands off. And this reminded me of the situation that occurred in 2018. 
when the state of Hawaii put out those alerts for an incoming ICBM and warned everybody they were about to get a bomb dropped on them and caused the panic, they eventually did fire some low-level staffer who they never bothered to name. That's the most you get out of these government officials. I want you to think of Afghanistan. Did anyone take a fall for that? And President Biden came out with his old bully routine that, oh, there's not going to be any helicopter going off the top of the embassy. And I would find it really delicious if 13 soldiers didn't lose their lives because he was not answering the question asked. He was equating the worst possible scenario from Vietnam with what wasn't going to happen. And then it ends up happening to him. That's maybe a little bit of karma. You're, you're right by India there. Maybe that's what struck him or instant karma if you're thinking of the Beatles. But he gets it slammed right down his throat on that and no one pays a price. How can you, if you, as the president even, how can he not fire somebody for that debacle in Afghanistan? But nope, George W. Bush, go and give the Presidential Medal of Freedom to George Tenet. Hey, hey, he's a fellow Greek. It's nice to see Greeks succeed. But I saw that Greek fail pretty badly. How do you not look at yourself in the mirror and say, this happened on my watch? Well, you know, on my watch is another phrase that only ever seems to apply to the other guys. And the answer is always grow government. And I wonder what is the incentive then for somebody like Senator Hirono to say, hey, how are these wildfire things going? How is the alert system going? You know that Hawaii has had plenty of fires. It experienced 80 wildfires between 1999 and 2019. That's about four fires a year. So the largest one is in 2009, scorched 8,300 acres over that much. So where was the preparation? CNN ran a story that said Hawaii has a robust emergency siren warning system. It sat silent during the deadly wildfires. Why? Where is the demand that heads roll for this? People have been incinerated in their homes, in their cars. Their houses are destroyed. Even if they survived, they're still looking for family members in the rubble. If they're even lucky enough to identify them, those people are gone forever. People put their faith in their government, and I guarantee you they spent plenty of money on this, and they'll spend plenty more. And yet, nobody is held responsible for it. It really gets to me because if government does a good job, they reward themselves and they take more money. If they do a bad job, they say, well, we need bigger government. And I think it's a fundamental idea that the American people have to move back against to hold them responsible. Just trying, which they always say, is simply not enough. A single scapegoat like that man found by the Hawaii Army National Guard after that false missile alert, not enough. Making somebody a federal employee or being part of the federal government doesn't solve the problem. For instance, after 9-11, I remember at the time I worked for Dick Morris, who was President Clinton's pollster and later a Fox commentator. You all probably know who he is. And he said, they're all talking about this box cutter. But the day before 9-11, you could have gone up to the security guard at TSA and said, see my box cutter? Isn't it nice? Isn't it pretty? My mother gave it to me. And they wouldn't have been able to take it away from you. So they didn't fail in that sense. What they failed with was vision. What they failed with was all the times Osama bin Laden during the Clinton administration kept trying to get America's attention. They bombed the World Trade Center. And in fact, I believe it was Andy McCarthy who was flying over there with the guy that he was trying for the blind shake trial. But don't hold me to it. I could be wrong. It could be someone else, but it's a real story. And he said to him, see, the Twin Towers are still standing. And the guy said, no, we'll come back. Al-Qaeda always comes back, and they do always come back. They don't give up on targets. They blew up embassies. They tried to get our attention. We ignored it. And then after 9-11, what did we do? 
Did anybody get fired for missing it? We have this massive, massive, massive government that's always sucking up more and more money. And we couldn't stop 19 guys with box cutters. The government sent them renewals for their tourist visa, or I guess it was their work visas, after they were smoldering in ground zero, after they were long dead. It finally decided to realize they were in the country and had no business being here. So I wish we could get people to think more that way about the government, not think about it as well. If we just give them enough of our money, they will somehow fix everything. You listen to the number of agencies, the alphabet soup here that Maisie Hirono mentions, FEMA, SBA, all of these different agencies, and they didn't prevent this. And I don't think the government ever can. I think they're doing too many things, too much. That government governs best, that governs least. As Thomas Jefferson said, they should do a lot better here. But they just want to use everything as an excuse to talk about their climate agenda, not about things that they could have logically done. They have people really focused on that. Unless you're John Houseman with a bunch of fembots and you're out in the middle of the Pacific those of you who remember the $6 million man will remember this. Also, it was a crossover with the bionic woman. And you want to control the weather with that machine? Jimmy Summers and Steve Austin are going to stop you. It's just about that farcical, this idea that you can control it. Or that we could set the temperature of the planet to what we, as arrogant human beings, find ideal is even possible. It was something in Brave New World that the whole world global temperature was 72 degrees. And that was, of course... A dystopia. It's just not possible. And we don't have the right or ability to decide what's perfect. We may pay a price as the earth's temperature goes up and down, but the continuing idea that everything is it. Me, as a scientist, as somebody who studied science, if your theory can never be disproven, and if everything that happens somehow fits into your theory, too cold, too hot, too many fires, not enough. What they called the drought, they were calling it the hurricane drought. If any of you recall, there was a Washington Post story in 2016 that called it that. Drought sounds like an awful thing, right? Well, it wasn't a drought. It was just hurricanes weren't hitting the US and they had to find a way to report that after Al Gore had said after Katrina, we were going to get something like five Katrinas a year or whatever he was saying, and then no hurricanes. Well, they had to explain it, right? So, And they had to still cast it as a negative. And of course, it wasn't a negative other than a lot of people bought property right on the coast. I have one more Maisie Hirono for you. So let me play this because this is, again, a time when people might want to praise Jacob Tapper and say he's really taking it to her. He's not. He says, many Maui residents say they didn't receive any official warnings before it was too late, and state officials are acknowledging, how big of them, that none of the 80 warning sirens on Maui were even activated. Why do you think officials were so unprepared for this? Here's Senator Hirono's answer, and remember, when a politician uses the word but, you can disregard anything that they say after that. Probably goes for regular people, too, that aren't elected to office. She says she's not making excuses and then throws out that but, that big but. And then she goes on, of course, to make some excuses and turn it to what she'd like to talk about, which is taxing you more for a little John Houseman weather control machine. I'm not going to make any excuses for this tragedy, but the attorney general has launched a review of what happened with those sirens and the, some of the other actions that were taken. So that is happening. And uh, there will be uh, time enough, I would say, for those kinds of uh, reviews and investigations to occur. I was there with uh, the family of federal agencies, including the, the administrator of FEMA, SBA, U.S. Fire. Um, and the, the 150 FEMA people are there. They brought in 
sadly, cadaver dogs to continue the search. I'm asking for and, and, and I expect to receive bipartisan support for additional funds that will enable us to recover. That, that recovery is going to take time. It is not going to be uh, overnight by any means. It will take years. This is an entire town that has burned to the ground. Well, I'm sure it's a great comfort to the people who have been incinerated that the attorney general is going to launch a review afterwards. This is something that reminds me of the P.S. Slocum fire in 1904 in New York City. It was the worst loss of civilian life, worst civilian disaster until 9-11. Over a thousand people burned or drowned on the East River because of a lot of mistakes that were made. And again, there, the government inspected that paddle boat, a lot of church people, mostly women and children. It was really a terrible disaster. It tore the heart out of Manhattan's Little Germany district, Klein Deutschland. And if you wonder why you never heard of Little Germany, the Slocum disaster is why. It, barely a family was untouched. Whole families were wiped out. It was a terrible disaster. But you know what? The government had inspected it beforehand and said it was fine. And then when the people that were riding it went to grab the life jackets, they were full of sawdust. The lifeboats were painted to the deck so they couldn't escape. In those days, very few people knew how to swim, except if you were one of Theodore Roosevelt's kids who would take them and throw them off the pier in Oyster Bay and tell them to either drown or swim. He was a, he's a pretty tough father and pretty insane, but that's how he ensured they knew how to swim. And unfortunately, that was not the case with the people on the Slocum. And I think we don't hold people accountable for this in government. We think the government is there. It's going to help if we give them more money. We list all these agencies, make a new agency. We did this with Homeland Security after 9-11, for instance. We also made all those TSA employees who had followed the rules they were given. We made them federal employees and we gave them all raises as if somehow throwing money at them and making them federal employees would improve our security. And notice also how Senator Hirono says there's going to be bipartisan support and she's throwing down the gauntlet there trying to intimidate Republicans. Really great. Let's just have politics at this moment. As I said yesterday, politics is something only one side ever seems to be accused of doing. And what is with this woman banning words anyway? Why is it always on the top of her mind? Remember during the Amy Coney Barrett hearing, she told her that sexual preference was afraid that was no longer allowed. And they literally changed the online dictionary definition to make that into a slur overnight. I could hear Winston Smith from 1984, George Orwell's book, flipping over in his fictional grave hearing that because that's Ministry of Truth stuff right there. Maybe I'll say some more about the banning of words and the controlling of speech in the coming days because it is all designed to make you afraid to say anything, make you unsure of yourself. They're right down to pronouns now where they don't want you to risk talking to somebody different than you because you might say the wrong thing and anything that people find offensive is instantly offensive. It's probably going to be a massive bill and they're going to use this opportunity because sadly that's what they see this as to really load up some pork in this bill. Nobody will be allowed to question it. It's a similar situation to the bill giving billions to Ukraine and Senator Rand Paul simply said, let's see some oversight of this money. Let's just make sure it's going where it's supposed to go. And he was voted down. No, 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 we have to write that blank check, as Speaker McCarthy calls it. We can't ask for a minute where the money is going. When a disaster like this comes, that's what people like this do in government. They say, let me spend as much as I can. Let me use this opportunity. You remember that phrase from Rahm Emanuel that's been repeated so often, but it really was a moment of insight and 
I am not going to disrespect you by using that dumb phrase, say the quiet part out loud, but he definitely revealed there what the thinking is. Don't let a crisis go to waste. Something bad happens. People are too cowed. Hey, maybe we don't want to spend money on all these crazy projects that aren't related to the people who actually lost their homes and lives. They're going to be rolling any Republican that says that right over video of the disaster as it occurred. So it's very hard to stand up to that. And the same thing with President Biden here. Oh, use this to get those additional powers. And I don't know. I don't want a president, any president, to have more power over the lives of me and my fellow citizens. Why do we need to give more power? Where is it in the Constitution where it says the president has delineated powers to control bad weather? Where does it say this? Of course, it doesn't say that because the founding fathers knew that you couldn't control that kind of thing. Certainly, China is never going to be on board with cutting their emissions, but somehow they get a pass on all of this as a, quote, developing economy. I just find it really sad. We aren't able to have disasters anymore where we all come together, where we say, gosh, these people that are burned beyond recognition, I couldn't care less who they voted for in life or what they supported or any of these superficial things. They are fellow Americans and they are being burned. I wish more people would step back and look at things that way. It's certainly what Senator Hirono's predecessor, Daniel Inouye, the longtime senator and World War II veteran, did. He ran down to help at the time of the Pearl Harbor attacks. And as a Japanese American, he did see his rights crushed by Franklin D. Roosevelt. And he did go, though, just the same, went and fought for the country. Those bloody, bloody battles by the Nisei Regiment, as it was called. And he lost his arm. He's charging. His story is just so amazing. And what he sacrificed, you may recall that he had lost one of his arms. And he was able to look at this nation despite the flaws that he saw, despite the way he personally suffered, not 200 years ago, he personally suffered him and his family. And he was able to work with Senator Dole, the Republican on the other side, who had also served in World War II for things like the Americans with Disabilities Act. Senator Dole, of course, was also badly, badly wounded in World War II in Italy. So they were able to work together. They looked at themselves as Americans first. There was a story in the New York Times on Sunday it was headlined, How Invasive Plants Caused the Maui Fires to Rage. And I have it right here. Uh, now, if you're a Rush Limbaugh listener, you probably are getting a little bit of nostalgia for that. Even those of you who always complained to Rush and said, I hate when you shuffle the papers. Don't do that. And I'll tell you, having worked for Rush, telling him not to do something was a really sure way to get him to do it again and again, just to tweak you. He was the ultimate anti-establishment guy bucking authority. He would probably, if it hadn't been for hippies, had one of those bumper stickers that read question authority or certainly question conventional wisdom. That 60s bumper sticker fit him really well. Anyway, I have the paper right here. Eh, one more time. Again, the headline is how invasive plants caused the Maui fires to rage. A sweeping series of plantation closures in Hawaii allowed the highly flammable non-native grasses to spread on idled lands providing fuel for huge blazes. And they talk about how the last sugarcane plantation shut down in Maui in 2016. That marked the end of an era when sugar reigned supreme in the island chain's economy. And then they say the latest harvest at a 36,000-acre plantation underscored another pivotal shift, the restless spread of extremely flammable non-native grasses on idled lands where cash crops once flourished. 
And they talk about the variety of these grasses, guinea grass, molasses grass, buffalo grass. They all are native to Africa. And you think about what Africa is like compared to Hawaii. Africa, there's a lot of arid savanna there. It's dry. All of this grass does really well in those conditions, in dry conditions. And also it's high energy. I'll tell you that again from that animal science background and the feeding, you want a food that is going to give the most energy per acre or per ounce or per pound. And so you bring in this grass and that's what this grass is able to do. And the grass needs it for itself and all that. But it's something that if you look at it a little deeper, you see why this would be really bad. Because if it's not a cow eating it for energy, it could just as easily be a fire eating it for energy. Plus the winds are different there. They did have a hurricane that whipped up a lot of these winds. You wouldn't have a hurricane over there. And also it's Savannah. It's designed to just be out there. The grass doesn't care about fires. If anything, fires whip through there and it causes the rejuvenation of life as it does in a lot of forests. Time says that it's fast growing when it rains, drought resistant, and those grasses are fueling the wildfires, including this blaze that is claimed, they say as of Sunday, at least 93 lives. That is a death toll that is expected to climb, unfortunately. They quote Melissa Chimera, whose grandmother worked at one of the plantations, and she said these grasses are highly aggressive. They grow very fast, are highly flammable. This is a recipe for fires that are a lot larger and a lot more destructive. Indeed, it is. And you know what? The government knows that they're there. You can't bring things like grass into the country. We had stories as far back as 2018. There was a fire at that point, destroyed 21 homes in West Maui. And a man named Clay Trauernicht, a specialist in wildfire science and management at the University of Hawaii at Manoa, he warned in a letter to the Maui News that the island was facing a hazard, that it had the potential to do something about it, and it should. Quote, the fuels, all that grass, is the one thing that we can directly change to reduce fire risk. Well, where were people listening to him? And I understand. I understand human nature. The one in a million, the black swan event, it is hard to know when it's going to happen. But here, Mr. Trauernicht, and yes, I can't get enough of saying Trauernicht. It's a pretty cool name. It's a German name. I looked it up. I'll tell you in a minute what it means if you care to hear it. This could have been something that was managed if they listened. And if we have this big, massive government with a million ears that's listening to all of us, why wasn't it listening to something like that? Why is government's ears close to that? And why do we think growing the government bigger will make things better next time, that it will protect us from fires, especially when government fails or there's a disaster, government grows bigger. Government does well and, and things go well. Well, they want to pat themselves on the back. They never go down. They may just be static. This is something that Margaret Thatcher said that I've quoted in my New York Sun column. She said, the labor and liberal governments, party governments would trade off control of the prime ministership in Great Britain. And then the conservatives would come in and they would just stand pat after the left had been moving the country leftward. But the conservative party would never roll things back. The Tories would just stand pat until they lost. And then the labor or liberal government would come in to replace them. And they would resume the leftward march towards socialism. And that's something that Thatcher wanted to do was roll that back. And she had great success with it. And so that's the kind of thing here is the government doesn't get slashed. It may get rewritten. It may get reorganized, but it always gets expanded, like into the Department of Homeland Security. And I remember when we were watching President Bush give that speech and announce it, a friend of mine who also works for Rush Limbaugh, Mojo, who you may have heard Derek mention, he 
texted me. We used AOL. Which was the style at the time? He messaged me and said, I do not like the sound of that. And we've seen a lot of that stuff be used. I always warn people, if you like the president, you like having a power, think of the one that you like the worst having it. As we talked about yesterday, Woodrow Wilson, who never met a free speech right or a civil right that he respected, went and cracked down on all of them using that Espionage Act, using all the tools that he had at his disposal. To me, shrink the government. Don't trust the government. I don't think that that's pushing an insurrection. It's just an acknowledgement of what George Carlin said. Never underestimate the power of stupid people in large groups. That sounds a little bit mean, but hey, are the best and brightest really in government? I know William F. Buckley used to say he'd rather be governed by the first hundred names in the New York City phone book than he would by <laughs> Congress. <laughs> I'm paraphrasing him too, but the point stands. He certainly was right about it. We make it like somebody in government, suddenly they know everything. Clearly, they do not. And I hope they're able to learn something. These certainly weren't the first wildfires. They won't be the last. And just to click this off and have it be about climate change and that agenda is really a disservice. The excitement in Senator Hirono's voice, it just really was off-putting to me. You have a major disaster in your state. People have died. You are partially responsible. And this is why people elect you to watch out for things like this to protect them. It just struck me as really in poor taste. Maybe I'm alone, but I don't think I am. I also want to mention quickly that I wrote a column in the New York Sun called Hottest Day Ever Becomes Hottest Story of the Week. That was on July 10th. Of course, they called July 4th because it's a good day to get people. People probably aren't paying much attention, but you can scare them with that. July 4th, the hottest day ever. Everybody panics, right? I pointed out in my piece that the University of Maine's climate reanalyzer is only based on models and aggregators, and it looks at global temperatures and only from 1979. 1979. Come on, everybody. That's 13 years after the loving spoonfuls hit summer in the city. I guess they didn't mention that because headlines reading unofficial hottest day since welcome back Cotter wouldn't have made quite the splash. And it wouldn't have pointed out any of that arrogance I talked about, about us controlling the weather. Nine days later, I was able to write a column in the sun and they gave it a great headline because we don't write our own headlines. Usually any columnist that you see their headline was here's a hot tip. Climate Reanalyzer, source of hottest ever headlines, now notes it's unofficial. Here we go. About 10 days after the holiday, they decide to reverse themselves and, and add a little asterisk after panicking everybody, probably ruining some people's weekends and make you not want to enjoy your July 4th Independence Day holiday, which is your right. That's exactly why George Washington went and shot the British in the face, because he wanted you to enjoy that weekend. And these people with their scaremongering, they ruined it. The mean global temperature increases in early July 2023, the reanalyzer wrote halfway down a back page, estimated from the climate forecast system, forecast again, not very accurate, does not mean it is actually happening, should not be taken as official, they put not in all caps, should not be taken as official observational records. Well, hate to tell you, that's exactly the way that they were presented, wasn't it? And they talk about the fact that it's an aggregator. They don't mention that it's a blink in the Earth's long life. I talked to Mark Morano, who some of you may know from Climate Depot. He's a fellow alum of the Rush Limbaugh television show. And he told me Biden's EPA shows the 1930s heat waves were much, much worse in the U.S. than recent times. He also told me that studies and data disclose the Roman warming period and the medieval warming period were as warm or warmer than today. 
So those sweaty centurions back then, they could tell you a thing or two about heat. Of course, they wore skirts, so they probably were a little warmer. It is 2023, and it's no longer a barrier for men to wear skirts. But the EPA website, I went and looked at it. It does indeed show a huge spike during the Dust Bowl, which it says, quote, brought some of the hottest summers on record in the United States. But nobody seems to care much about 100 years ago, right? When there's self-pity to be had and taxes to be raised, we just care about us. And that's one of the things, certainly the case here. And I would also point out NBC was running the headline, worst fire in modern time, in modern America. That's another word I would caution you. When you hear someone use that, it probably means at best they're just covering their butt because they know they don't know history. But at worst, it means, well, they want to make it sound worse, leave it a little bit unspecific leave it a little bit murky and maybe they're just too lazy to go back and look up when it was it was 100 years ago the last fire on that scale of course unless you count the 9-11 attacks which were pretty bad as well and another government failure to alert us and to be on top of it and there's a certainly a matter matter of scale there i don't mean to compare the two but it's something definitely worth thinking about. Watch out for that. The sensationalized reporting yesterday, I talked about staging that car crash on the side of the road. It's something that made me not want to be in TV anymore. And between you and me, and don't tell anybody, they told me I was really good at it. I appreciated any compliment, but I recoiled from that one because I was just creeped out. I didn't want to be making people feel bad all the time. And that that's how working in cable news made me feel specifically at Fox News at the time. And we had a lot better programming then. What I see now is just pretty unwatchable. I'm sorry to see that. I still know some people that are over there, but like government, cream does not rise to the top in the news business. I mentioned Margaret Thatcher and I mentioned the controlling of language. So I want to tack on one little story here at the end from the great white North. And that's the fact that the conservative party leader up there, there's this great headline here in CTV, another one that would make Winston Smith from the Ministry of Truth in 1984 proud. The story refers to the Canadian conservative party leader, Pierre Poiliev, and he has been hitting the summer barbecue circuit, they say. Oh, they hate barbecues. They banned outdoor fires up there. But anyway, with ramped up rhetoric around debunked claims that the World Economic Forum is attempting to impose its agenda on sovereign governments. Well, here we go again. First of all, let's start with the qualifiers. Debunked claims. Okay, who says it's, how is it debunked? This is what I said earlier about Donald Trump and about opinion being suddenly something that's able to be debunked and is without evidence and is false and is a lie. This is the man's opinion. And the idea that you can't suddenly now criticize the World Economic Forum, well, of course, they're trying to impose their agenda. Of course, they don't have an agenda. Of course, they do. They say it all the time. But naturally, again, only the other side has an agenda. They don't have an agenda. They're completely neutral. It's ridiculous on the face of it, of course. They say in this CTV piece, some experts suggest, there's the word experts again, it's another sign that some conspiracy theories are moving from the fringes of the internet to mainstream thinking as people's distrust of government grows. Now, earlier I said about that, you get distrust government. How dare you distrust that the government's wonderful? This in a Canada that is still reckoning with the legacy of the lost generation and stealing native children from their parents and shoving them in government schools and stripping away their culture and their language from them and their families. So, gee, maybe distrust in the Canadian government isn't such a bad thing. Hmm? 
No, no, the government is good. Government always must be good. And we have to reject anybody who criticizes them at all. Well, no, thank you. I'm glad we, at least for the moment, have a First Amendment in the United States. And I'm glad that Mr. Poiliev is pushing back in a way that we don't see from a lot of conservatives here. He said in a tweet, Trudeau's media are desperate to stop his continued downfall. You know Justin Trudeau, the Prime Minister of Canada. He likes to prance around in blackface all the time when he was a younger man. Oh, it's just fine. But again, he can't be racist, right? He's a good liberal. He's a leftist in good standing who only got his job, of course, because of his daddy. Oh, but that's another mistake. Liberal politicians don't have daddies. I mean, when was the last time you heard someone say Mario Cuomo's daddy or Mary Landry's daddy? Oh, you never hear that kind of thing. No, no, no. Leftist politicians just have fathers and Republicans like George W. Bush have daddies. Well, who's your daddy, Justin Trudeau? And those of you who follow Canada know that that's a conspiracy theory that Fidel Castro is actually his father. Anyway, here in this tweet, Mr. Poiliev says, Today, CBC's news service, CP, wrote a hit piece on me because I dared criticize the World Economic Forum, a group of multinational CEOs and powerful politicians that push their interests. I work for our people in this country and will bring home our democracy without apology. Well, good for him. If you read those words, multinational CEOs and powerful politicians out of this context, well, you know that even people on the left have skepticism about CEOs, any CEOs and politicians. Certainly they do. And I would just say to all of you, keep an eye on Mr. Poiliev. Cast an eye now and then up to Canada for something other than hockey season and note what they're doing. I'm glad that he's pushing back a little bit on this, shutting people down, using this silly phrase conspiracy theory for anything you don't like. It's really been something that's been turned into a weapon and making people afraid to speak. I don't really care if you want to say something about the World Economic Forum. Heck, you could criticize all kinds of sacred cows in America. I don't see why we can't criticize them up in Canada as well. They should have that right. But then again, my wife is a recovering Canadian, a naturalized American citizen. So I still have an eye on the Great White North. I hope that they do well up there. They certainly deserve better than a racist like Justin Trudeau with his blackface. But hey, I guess membership in his party and having a powerful daddy has its privileges. Oh, I mentioned Clay Trauernicht. His name means, according to Ancestry.com, Trauernicht, North German nickname for someone who was never sad. They say possibly for a person who is has a casual lack of concern that is indifferent. And it's a form of a sentence meaning, I don't feel sad. That's a pretty good last name. Imagine that. My name is Clay. I don't feel sad. <laughs> That's pretty sweet, right? Makes you real positive. I guarantee you there is no Greek equivalent, but only Greek people out there are laughing right now at that one. Speaking of trying to keep upbeat and happy, I promised a little backstory on Let's Go Crazy, Prince's hit of 40 years ago. Next year, the song Let's Go Crazy will turn 40. Prince said in 1997, as I wrote it, Let's Go Crazy was about God and the de-elevation of sin. But the problem was that religion as a subject is taboo in pop music. People think that the records they release have got to be hip, but what I need to do is tell the truth. I had to change those words up, but the elevator was Satan. Get it, D-elevator, right? Look at the letters if you do. If you put the D there instead of the, that's pretty sweet and pretty subtle. I spent 40 years not getting it. 
Prince continued, I had to change the words up because you couldn't say God on the radio. So let's go crazy was God to me. It was stay happy, stay focused, and you can beat the elevator. Are we going to let the elevator get us down? Oh, no. Let's go. I thought that was a pretty positive note to end the show on. We can all relate to that. We can all relate to punching that top button. Prince passed away in an elevator, and I don't think he ever let it get him down. At least I hope not based on his faith and he talked about it privately and it wasn't in the music because of the things he described there even as a child his mother said she told him a story he had an angel visitation he had epilepsy as a kid and was cured of it after this experience that he took to be celestial intervention so i hope some of you out there have never heard this story before of let's go crazy i know it's pretty new to me and i've listened to that thousands of times next time you hear let's go crazy Remember what Prince was really going for there. And don't let the elevator get you down. Find me at History Dean on Twitter. And you can find the History Author Show at historyauthor.com. That's it for today. I will be back tomorrow for the Wednesday edition, hump day already of the Derek Hunter Show. Remember to support the program at patreon.com slash Derek Hunter podcast or derekhunter.locals.com. Plus, sign up to win your free autographed copy of Senator Pompeo's book, Never Give an Inch, Fighting for the America I Love, at newyorksun.com slash book. Or you could get that snazzy coffee mug to start your day, get yourself up and going, crank up the prints, and find out the news of the day from a source that really does want to shine for all the sunshines for all. It says that right there on the mug, which is why you should go for just a penny a day, get that free mug by signing up at nysun.com slash mug. I only wish I could sign up for myself and get that mug, but I unfortunately am ineligible for freebies. But don't cry for me. Go ahead and get your copy. And honestly, as much as I'm doing a little bit of the puker from the old 40s radio announcer guy in the real radio announcer voice, I am sincere about thinking and believing that the journalism at the New York Sun is great. I would not have worked for Rush for 25 years if I didn't believe that he was a good person and he was trying to be honest with the audience. And I honestly never wanted to work in radio. I wanted to work for Rush. So I ended up doing that. And I really never wanted to work for a newspaper either, but I sure want to work for the New York Sun. It's good stuff there. We're just going to keep getting better. And it's something you can read where you don't feel insulted at the end. So please do go check it out. Thank you so much for listening today. I will not let the elevator get me down. Don't let him get you down either. Be of good cheer and join me again tomorrow where together we will get through this thing called life. Take her easy, dude. Yeah, thanks, man.